Somebody right where you are just ought to give them praise. Go ahead and praise them right in your situation. Do not let your predicament dictate your praise. You let Christ, his power, and how he's positioned you because of the cross, let that be the place that you praise from right now. Don't hold back on a hallelujah to our king. Don't miss extending your arm up to thank him. You should be dead right now. Maybe should have AIDS right now. Shouldn't be with the spouse God gave you right now. You couldn't have did it, but death couldn't hold him. And since he's victorious, we can celebrate. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Well, good morning, good morning. My name is Doug Logan. I serve as the lead pastor of Epiphany Fellowship of Camden. It's good to be home. This is my home church. Amen. Amen and amen. So I praise God to be here. Um, to my bishop, my father in the ministry, Dr. Eric Mason, um, and the prophetess of the highest order, <laughs> Yvette Mason. Amen, amen. I get to be uncle and brother and son all at the same time. So I praise God for, the, for this family and for um, these, my elders. I said earlier, if I had messed up in my home, an angel had put me out, I would call these men, Pastor Larry, Pastor Kurt, Pastor Nair, Pastor E, to get me back in the house. I would expect them to convince Angel of how good I, no, I'm just kidding. So I love these men. One of the sweetest things I'll probably go to heaven with is my two years serving as one of the pastors, Connections Pastor, in 2009 to 2011 here with these men. Um, a lot to do with this passage is the depression and struggles I went through in that, in that zone there, and it was chaotic. And when I got here, it got more chaotic. But it was chaotic in community. And um, God held me together, and God used these men. He used these men. And so I rejoice to be here, and I rejoice to come home to a church where I'm not walking on eggshells because I barely escaped. But I was sent with joy, and I joyfully serve in America's most dangerous, most violent, most nasty, most killing city, Camden. And I did not do God a favor going. He blessed me to be allowed to serve anywhere. I ain't hooking God up. He's hooking me up. I should be dead, um, but it's grace. So I just want to um, jump in and, and quick commercial. Thanks for all the birthday wishes and also all the prayers for my son Avery who broke his leg pretty severely and had multiple complications, but God brought him home with some amen, amen. Continue to pray for him. He's a little depressed. In, um, in the midst of first game of the first season, of his last season, so, so pray much for him. Amen, I don't wanna belabor, that clock is running me down. Is it okay? 
Amen. Amen. So I want to pray, preach, and then go home. Amen. <laughs> I, I got to go to New York. I got to preach at 5 o'clock in Manhattan. So y'all pray for me that I don't get a ticket. Amen. And um, <laughs> Father, we need you yet again. You alone are worthy to be praised. You alone are king. You alone are God. You alone have saved us. So, Lord, we need, Lord, we, we, we know there's a lot of good posts out about you on social media, but we need a word from you today. We, we need a word from heaven. We need headlines from heaven instead of junk from the Internet. So, God, meet us in our brokenness. Hide me behind the cross. Move mightily in this place. Might this message be to the people, not the podcast. And might your people be edified even today, that we would grow and continue from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity for your glory and by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 13, in its entirety, let me read for your hearing. It's the Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in, in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Don't miss the emotional content here. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lighten up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully, bountifully with me. Title of my message is Confidence in Christ in the Midst of Confusion. Confidence in Christ in the midst of confusion. I was born and raised in Patterson, New Jersey. It's like number nine on the worst cities in America, and I just happen to live in number one of the worst cities in America. But in 1981 to 1982, my mother, she was on a slow road to death of pain and suffering from multiple complications surrounded around her kidneys. Well, she would die on January 1st, 1983. Talk about Christmas and holidays for me. My father died a week before Thanksgiving, and my mother died a week after Christmas. My mother was a believer in Jesus, though. She's in heaven right now. I believe that with my soul. My father was an alcoholic, an abusive, violent man, an adulterer. Praise God, he came to Christ himself and has gone home to be with the Lord. So I went to live with my oldest sister who lived in Lakewood, New Jersey. Now, if you know Lakewood, New Jersey, in 1983, it was as white as the egg section of the grocery store. It was white. And so for a little 12-year-old boy, born and raised in Patterson, New Jersey, snatched from his father, death of his mother, 
home, cousin, relatives, dog, bicycle, everything, and slammed into Lakewood, New Jersey. It was culture shock. I lost my mother, I lost my father, I, I lost my mother. One of my sisters went to move to South Carolina with my aunt. My whole life fell apart in 1983. I wondered if this God that my mother talked about was really this good God that she would sing about. I felt that he had clocked out on me though. I felt like he was at best a good uncle who shows up with a gift every now and again at the fair reunion, but is not really reliable in the pinch. I felt abandoned, I felt alienated, and I felt that, as my mother would always say, that God was so good, I didn't believe he was very good. I believe he was an abandoner, and he was unreliable. David, much like that, feels this way in this passage. As he writes, remember, he writes from victory. So I preach it, I, I, I preach as it's written, but David is writing this on the backside of being delivered by God. But he's telling you in a dossier form of what it was and what he went through. This is like his journal entry. And so some would say that this sermon, this, this passage is couched in the in redemptive history as the time when King Saul, the raggedy, rebellious King Saul, who had had a spirit taken from him because of his continual disobedience and rebellion to not obey and do what God was calling him to do, David gets anointed by Samuel. He gets anointed but not yet appointed. So in the span of that time, King Saul sets all types of hit men and thugs after to kill David. David is anointed, but yet not appointed. He's recognizing his place and his position, and yet he feels like God is not with him as he's dug out in a cave, eating ramen noodles and wondering when will he ever be in the palace. And from that despair, some would say that he wrote this song. And so I've got a couple of points to get to, and I want to walk us through for our encouragement. My first idea is David's protest. David's protest, verse 1 and 2. I want you to notice, we understand the theological, the historical, and the grammatic understanding of the text. Please don't miss the emotional tone of the text. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? If this is a text message to God, it's all caps with exclamation marks. How long, he leads out with four how long statements. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? If David was on the phone, he would have to step out the room to argue with God on the phone because he would be loud and yelling when I smell the, the, the tone of this passage. He's hurting, he's struggling, he's depleted. From this idea, we should, we should sense the feelings of abandonment that David is feeling. Alienation, despair, he's depleted of patience, he's deprived of hope. Is a, if you should hear the tones of a God-forsakenness with an inability to offer God prayer and praise. I don't know about you, but I've been there. Yeah. I've, I've had a hard time to praise God in some days. But... But this, his how long statements, it seems that he's been weighed down for a long time. 
with no sign of divine intervention to be seen. He says, how long? How long will you forget me forever? The first one. What he's saying here is, how long will you entirely ignore me from now on, God? He feels alone. He feels forgotten. Then he says, how long will you hide your face from me? This phrase in Hebrew means, how long will you turn your back to me and keep walking away out of my situation and leaving me here in my mess? How long, God? How long will you neglect me is what he's screaming. How long, then he gets to verse 2, how long shall I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? He's depleted of patience. So much so, look at verse 2, how long take counsel in my soul? He's so depleted of patience, he's beginning to counsel himself. Bad idea. You are your worst counselor. You're your worst counselor. Now David is struggling. He's, he's irritated with the person, God, who is perfect. How are you very imperfect, just like me, going to counsel yourself through crisis and dilemma. You're not. If you're like me in my depression, as I talked about when I came in 2009, I wasn't sleeping well. I was often frustrated. I was eating food late, drinking drinks as my ambient to help me sleep. I was counseling myself with stupidity, and every plan I came up with was the best plan. I'll never get an F on a test I grade. I'll always get 100. Don't counsel yourself. You're your worst counselor. You're not even better than Dr. Phil. He's dealing with insomnia, exhaustion, and it leads to bad choices. Why? That's why we don't lean on our own understanding, but on God's understanding and God's counsel. And since he's depleted of patience, exhausted from self-medicating himself on his own counsel, this can only lead to a heart filled with sorrow, and it causes him to question God. Old song says, there's a storm out on the ocean, and it's moving this old way. If your soul's not anchored in Jesus, you will surely drift away. In the midst of your crisis, be anchored in Jesus, not in your counsel. Because you will surely drift away. And in our darkest moment, might we not look inside ourselves for counsel? But might we look to the perfect counsel of Yeshua, Jesus, who is the Christ, that's why we could see in Proverbs, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Okay, that's the bumper sticker in the t-shirt. Now here is the one that don't make it to the bumper sticker. Verse seven, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. See that, nobody's buying that t-shirt. But see, that's what we... we we can't counsel ourselves with cute, melodic, hymnic verses, and even know that the first part of the verse isn't reducing the challenge to you to trust the Lord. But here's the what, don't be wise in your own eyes, but revere the Lord and turn away from evil. And the fourth of these, how long please to God, is how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? What he's saying here is, how long shall the arrogance of my enemies grow in the midst of my agony. 
How long shall the arrogance of my enemies grow in the midst of my agony? How long? David is given his deprived of hope and depleted of patience and defeated propositions here. But he comes to a place where he wants to ask God to intervene. So he stops. He's finished whining. And now he's ready to start praying. Verse, verse 3 says this. How long? I mean, verse, yeah, verse 3 says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Lighten up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He asked God three things for consideration in his prayer. He asked God to consider him, to look at his situation. He asked God to answer him, respond favorably to my crisis. And he asked God to lighten up my eyes. This is an interesting term because just lighten up my eyes. If you've seen the movie Gladiator, you remember at the end when he was dying, he began to look into his death and his ultimate leaving earth and dying. And he began to fade away, if you will, into that. His eyes were getting dim. It was almost over for him. So he begins to pray and asking God who he feels has turned his back on him and has not looked on him with the smile of grace. He says, consider, take a good look at me, answer my prayer, mean turn your face toward me, take this darkness out of my eyes, lighten up my eyes, God. This idea of lighten up my eyes, it means to make my eyes clear because there's been a dimness from the exhaustion of my depression. There's been a dimness from my anxiety to feel God's grace shine upon me. There's been a dimness. This dimness is much like, if you know me, I go to bed about 8.30 p.m. Amen, somebody. And if you were, as an elder at this church, our meetings didn't end at 8.30. And so you could set your clock to my rubbing of my head, because Pastor Nairn would say, oh, it's after 8.30. Because at 8.32, I'm fading out. So when you see this lighting up my eyes, this dimness from the anxiety, from the depression, from the depleted, it's much like driving home at 2 o'clock in the morning from North Carolina and swerving off the road, tired, dimness. That's what I want you to see. In your crisis, you don't drive that good. You need a designated prayer in your crisis. Lighten up my eyes, I'm exhausted. Lamentations 5.17 helps us with this. It says, for this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. If you don't pay attention, you'll miss it. But he says, consider and answer me, O Lord, Yahweh, my God. And in his desperation for God, he's still not detached from God. So he says what? My God. Look at that verse three. Consider answering me, O Lord, my God. Can I tell you in your crisis, don't you throw out God to fix your problem. Yeah. I just had a meeting on the block the other day with some cat. He told me his, that God hadn't fixed his situation, and so therefore God didn't exist. So he's on some old stupid Drake six God mess that he thinks that's going to repair the sickness and the death of this world. I said, young man, you can't even explain a cough. But now you can fix the world with some book you read a half a chapter of on Google. 
He dismissed God because that what he thought his situation would be repaired. But David doesn't. David says, in my crisis, you are still my God. <laughs> my God, he wants his eyes lightened up. He wants to see clearer. He wants to overcome this exhaustion. He feels near to death. He's in a good place. This is a good place. He feels that if God doesn't do something and change his situation, he is going to die. I don't know about you, but that's a good place. <laughs> Don't run off your problems too far. They are growing you. Don't push back from your situation too far. It is strengthening you. God sometimes allows you to feel abandoned so you can grow up. God sometimes leaves you out there so you can learn how to walk. He takes the walker from you. He pulls training wheels off of your bike, knowing you're still going to fall, but he's a careful father. He's a good, good father. That's who he is, and he can catch you, and when he lets you fall, he has an ability better than Neosporin to heal your body. Like in that movie Ray, I remember when young Ray was going blind, he said, Mama, and Mama didn't move. That's what God does with us sometimes. That's what he does. Lighten up my eyes. He's ready to quit. He feels depleted. He feels defeated. Remember, he's taking counsel in himself. And, he's, and he says he's going to sleep the sleep of death. If God doesn't do something and lighten up his eyes, he goes further in verse 4 and says, when he sleeps the sleep of death, his enemies will have a party and celebrate his defeat. The family is going to have a funeral. When David dies, he's saying... But the enemies is going to have a party. David is concerned about his enemies and what they think. Notice verse 2. How long will I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will, verse 3, how long, I mean verse 2, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? He's already mentioned them. He's saying he doesn't want his enemy to rejoice. The gospel tells me that Jesus died a death that I should have died, lived a life perfectly, one impossible for me to live, and would defeat all enemies that were possible to ever try to defeat me. So can I tell you that in Christ, I'm not concerned about enemies. And that can't be the center point of our praise. I grew up in the African-American Baptist church, and when I would hear some deacons pray, they would mention the devil in the prayer more than God. We rebuke you, devil. The devil has no place here. Satan, you're cast out. Shut up. God is bigger than your problem. He's bigger than your situation. The, you're a better devil than the devil. So you should put your own name in to cast out this devil. You should cast yourself out. No. God, we have to exalt Christ in our crisis. We have to exalt Jesus. Don't talk about yourself. You're a bad story. You're not a, you're not a trending tweetable moment. But God's triumphant re reality is a tweetable moment. God's healing power, Ask Yvette Mason, is a tweetable moment. God's transplant power, Ask Pastor Tommy Forster, is a tweetable moment. Ask around and you'll know that God over you is worth exalting and going through crisis. I live on a block where we were watching a fight and the neighbor next door to Pastor Trav, he lives about eight doors down from me, chopped his wife up, put her in a suitcase. And she didn't start to stink to the Mayweather fight after we paid a lot of money. And 
The police showed up. We had to carry. They carried her out in a suitcase with blood dripping. A month ago, there was two twins around the corner, two blocks from my house. My wife rode by and said, um, I think something's happening. I called back. Two twins were murdered one block from my house. I was at the dry cleaner two weeks ago, right? I was getting my little stuff for Acts 29, and you know what I'm saying? I walk out the door, dude pulls up in a car, and, they, and another dude rolls up, and they shoot off about 20 shots at each other. They can't shoot, because nobody got hit. I had to drop to the floor, because the bullets were flying one block from my house. And I ain't moved yet. I ain't worried about no enemy. I ain't worried about that. My God is an awesome God. He deals with danger seen and unseen. He's able to provide protection in an earthquake. He knows the weight of my tear and he hears it hit the ground during an earthquake. He knows and can see my, the exact moment and my exact pain and he can intervene at his leisure and bring me out. My position to stand in the midst of crisis, my confidence is in Christ because his ability to stand in crisis on a cross and die a nasty death in my place is my example. He's on the cross. He doesn't get down. Don't get down from your problem too quick. God is doing something with you. He's not exalting you. He's exalting his name through you in your crisis. People at your job need to see you struggle, but they need to see God's triumph. People in your family need to see your challenge, but they need to see God's triumph. Don't, say, don't sanitize your testimony with Holy Ghost bleach. Let the Holy Ghost tell the true story. And when it's filthy and he brings you out, that's the testimony over the enemy. That and only that. David's worried about his enemy. Don't you worry about your enemy. Jesus has sufficiently and adequately, aggressively and intentionally destroyed any enemy that can destroy you. The Trinity did not have an emergency meeting in your crisis. God takes no medication for nervousness. He doesn't freak out when you freak out. He's defeated every enemy. That's why David could write later in Psalm 91, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it's not coming near you. And that's why the songwriter could write, um, and he must have read this verse, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And that's why the more modern songwriter wrote, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. There is no enemy that can move you out of the grace of God. There is no enemy that can shake you out of the grace of God. The grace of God is securely gripped by God. So you need to cling to the crucified and not to your crisis. Christ defines me, not my crisis, because I would be all over the map, which I am most times. But when we find that Christ, the solid rock we stand, and all other ground is sinking sand, we'll have a different kind of posture, a different kind of position. We'll praise different. We'll say hallelujah in the grocery store when we recognize how he showed up. David's worried about his enemies. 
Don't you worry about your enemy. Lest my enemies say they have prevailed over me. And lest my foes rejoice. That's why we can say in Romans 8, 31 and 32, what shall I say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Hattie Logan would say, if God be for us, what does it matter who's against us? Bring him. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with, with him graciously give us all things? For I am sure, verse 38, and then he goes to his, his, his redeemed resolve. In my Elizabethan King James, he says, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor things in Camden, or nor Philly, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's grip is tight. He will not let you go in crisis. God's grip is tight. He will not let you go in your sick situation. God's grip is tight. It's the only grip that will not, the Satan cannot pluck out every other thing you rest in is sinking sand. But nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You ought to just say hallelujah right there. I can stop right here. We can take another offering and go on home. In my depression, I had a hard time sleeping. And I never forget Angel Logan. We were struggling. 09, 09, not 20 years ago, 09. And I remember I started working at the church. My office was right here in this little dark corner. I was so dark you couldn't even see me back there. Pastor E would think I wasn't at work when he would come around the corner. And I'll never forget Dr. Eric Mason and Yvette Mason. Yvette Mason would send her little shukabuka food from the house because she knew me and Angel didn't have no money for no food. And Mason would take me across the street to the little Oscar, my man from Camden that works in the grocery store, work at the corner store. And he would put extra pieces of ham on my sandwich to make it work. And different ones made sure I was fed. And I remember stealing some coffee mugs from the basement and Cheerios in 2009. And I remember in the midst of that, I wasn't sleeping, I was struggling. An angel said to me one night, about 3.30 in the morning, because I was wide awake, as soon as I fall asleep, it was like, see, I feel like the devil's Freddy Krueger, like he gets you in the night. So I said, I'm gonna stay awake. An angel said, listen, you gonna get up, and you gonna get out of this, because our God is an awesome God. And he's already done enough and sufficiently so you, you just got to believe God and stop playing. So she put some oil, tried to put it on my head, and I moved over a little bit so it got on my chest. I don't have no great story. I got up. I drove down from 71st Street, down Broad Street with a whole new perspective, a whole new reality. I didn't, there was no moment where I said, okay, I'm not depressed. I don't know. God just showed up. And so it is with this last verse, this last passage. So he's given his protest to God. Then he asked God to consider so that his protest is his complaint. And then he gave a prayer asking God to consider. 
And now he's giving God praise, giving his confession of his commitment. I want you to notice in every version of the Bible, there is no verse between verse 4 and verse 5. Just want you to, don't miss that. Even in the King James, there's no verse between verse 4 and verse 5. I promise you. I believe David has come to his redeemed resolve, though. David doesn't need a verse in between those. Can I tell you? His problem has not changed. His predicament has not changed. But his posture has changed. Look what he says. But I have, past tense already, and will continue to trust in your steadfast love. My heart shall, not, not after the trial's over, but right now and will continue, shall rejoice in your salvation. I will already right now and will continue to sing to the Lord. Why? Because he has already dealt bountifully with me. See that word bountifully, that, that smells like our New Testament word grace. He has dealt graciously with me. He's been better than good. Let's talk about this for a second. In the midst of his desperation and his depletion of patience, he's declaring that God is good and that God has been good to him and God has already, if God doesn't bring him out of this trial, he's saying he's already good. Can you praise God in the midst of your problem? Do you need to get to the shore to praise him while you're drowning? Do you need the situation to work for you to believe that God can show up on a dark day? That do you believe that God can see a black ant on a black hill on a black night? Do you believe that our God is able? Do you realize when, when, and when we read the Bible, it talks about the sundial getting turned back? Do you know all the water didn't come out the earth when he spun back 10 degrees? God in his power held the water in. The trees didn't get uprooted. When the sundial got turned, do you realize what kind of God you have? He can spin a clock back and spin the earth on his axis back and the water not shake out and the sun not go into cataclysma? Do you realize the God you serve? He has an ability to take an egg and some sperm and mix it in and make a baby, make a barren woman have a baby, make a woman that need a transplant have two after 40. Do you know the God we serve? He can step into a devil, nasty situation, and he can see triumph out of trial. Do you realize how big your God is? He's a huge God. Our low view of God causes us to protest. Our low view of God causes us not to pray. You got to have a big view of God. Old church, grandma say he's God all by himself. It wasn't no theology, it was the Bible. He's God all by himself. She would just wave her hand. My mother would just stand up and go like this. She ain't say nothing. She just did like this. My father was beating her, and she would iron and hum amazing grace with a black eye. Do you know how big your God is? And that same violent abuser came to saving grace in 1993 and is now in heaven right this minute. We serve a God who's huge. He can set the sun so we can have some seasons. He knows about your cancer. He knows about your situation. He has not abandoned us. He's a big God. Get rid of your low view of God. He's too huge. He can't fit into your 140 characters. He can't fit in there. 
So that's why David could praise. Because he says, man, man, God is, God is huge. In my protest, I thought he was small. In my weak prayer, I thought he had a weak signal like T-Mobile. I'm sorry. <laughs> so David is saying, I'm going to rely on God. God is reliable. But can I tell you what David throws himself into saying the reliability of? He uses this word, hesed. A lot of translations translated different. I think the NIV says loving kindness. Um, King James says... Um, Mercy, mercy, merciful kindness. Um, the ESV says steadfast love. It's a hard word to translate into English because it's so non-human. It's a one-way love. It's a covenant faithfulness, but God isn't faithful to some covenant with you. He's faithful to the covenant with himself. So it's not contingent upon your obedience. It's contingent upon his compassion. I'm so glad that his love, his compassion drives his love, not my ability to love him back right. And so he says, I'm going to trust in your steadfast love. This word hesed is an interesting word. Lamentations helps us. Lamentations, Pastor Naren already brought out that in lamentations, I always consider lamentations like driving around when I was doing my prayer rides in Camden. I would ride around and I would see all the destruction. That's what chapter one and chapter two and chapter three of Lamentations is. It's like he's got a rental car. He just got off the plane in Philly. He's over now riding through Camden. Murder, violence, broke down house, death, school collapsing, a robbery, crack sale, molly sale, blue, pink, 15s, 30s. He don't see nothing. And when he rides through, he, I think he just finally pulls over and parks. And then he says in verse 20, look what verse 20 says in Lamentations. I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to mess it up. And I'm almost out of time. He says, my, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. When me and Angel first went to see Camden, we were riding across the bridge and we rolled through and she was crying so hard I had to pull over. And she said, she said, Doug, we got to plant a church here. I said, we're going to pray somebody plant a church here. <laughs> and I came back across the bridge. I had to be to work. And I went back about 1030 that night and I rolled through Broadway and I couldn't find an ounce of hope. Angel went back with me the next day and she said, Doug, somebody has pulled up into this city, put a vacuum on the hearts of these people and sucked the hope out of them. I was called right in that moment to go plan. We didn't see any glimpse of hope at all. There wasn't nothing good that we saw going on. Praise God for the church. I ain't knocking them. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we didn't see nothing on the street happening. It was bad. Let me, let me land this plane. 
In Lamentations 20, this is what Jeremiah is lamenting of. He says, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. He's saying, this is a mess. I've been riding through and it's a mess. Then he says, but this I call to mind. That's what Angel Logan did for me. And therefore, I have hope. Hope and hopelessness. That's the gospel. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So in the midst of a dilapidated, broken down city, Jeremiah laments. But he finds hope in the hesed of God. Not in his strategic plan for church planning. Not in his MDiv his THM, his D-men, but in the Hesed, the one-way, violent, pursuing love. And the best example of Hesed is the cross. It's Jesus stepping into the darkness, pushing the darkness back, us, dying in our place, and willing to die when he was king. He could have waved his hand, started a hurricane, made a new Adam, changed his name if he wanted to, fixed him up and sent him through. But no, he chose to die in our place. That's Hesed. It wasn't because you were going to shout right. It was because he is faithful to himself. And he's willing to go to a cross and die in our place. His Hesed. This is why Jeremiah can ride through a best up city and put his hand up outside the car and say, great is your faithfulness. Because his situation didn't change, but God had not changed either. He is faithful. And that's why David, in this verse, can say, I trust in his hesed, in his steadfast love. And that's why Jesus did not get down off the cross. They tried to negotiate with him, get down and save yourself, then save us. He says, nah, I'm going to stay up here because I know some folk in North Philly and Camden that's going to need me in 2015. I know some stuff that I got to come in and save some folk. This is what our God does on the cross. And so Jeremiah can trust in his, in his steadfast love of the Redeemer and the Messiah. David can. Jesus is the embodiment of Hesed on the cross. And God calls you and I in this day to trust in the same Hesed, the same Messiah, the same promise. In your crisis, you can have confidence in Christ because he's steady. He's straighter than six o'clock. You can confidence in him. I got to finish. Oh, I'm past the time. Grace is real in hard times. It doesn't diminish. It doesn't need you to be good for it to be good. It is standalone good on your worst day. It's standalone good on your deathbed. The grace of God thrives in enemies' attacks. It becomes more pronounced in problems and predicaments. God uses those moments of seeming abandonment to show your lack of sovereignty. That's what God wants to show you. When you feel that abandonment, God is trying to make you more dependent on him and less dependent on your strategy and your swag. Let me land the plane here. When I look back at the Christological view here, as I see Christ boldly pronounced, not from an allegorical way, but from a real way. Remember, David wrote this with a covenant consciousness. He wrote this mindful that God had promised a Mashiach, a Messiah, that would come. So he writes it with a covenant consciousness knowing that at the end of all of this, it's the hesed of God 
which is most expressed in, his Messiah, in the Messiah that would come on the cross, Jesus himself. So when I look out, when we read this passage, David says, how long will you forget me? Forever? Well, on the cross, Jesus was forgotten. David wasn't ultimately forgotten, but on the cross, at his death, he was ultimately forgotten by God. How long must I take counsel in my soul? I thirst. I'm mindful of that. I have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? But we know that his enemy was exalted over him, our sins, and he died a death in our place. David walked away. Christ did not walk away from this cross. He died. The enemy's triumph on that one Friday in history that saw night twice, he died. Amidst the flies and the curses with nobody, as the song says, to wipe the death dew from his forehead. He died. And they prevailed over him. And death and grave had a party. But one getting up morning, three days later, <laughs> their turn up would go to turn down. And our turn up would go on for eternity. As he would rise from the grave victorious. As the embodiment of the steadfast love of God and come out to give grace freely away to the undeserving folk, us. Ultimately, it pleased the Father to crush Jesus, not David and not us. Jesus would be our perfect substitute. I'm gonna say this and land the plane. Your identity is anchored in Christ's accomplishments on the cross, not yours. It's in his strength not your weakness. It's in his perfect performance, not your non-perfect performance. It's in his victory, not yours. And when that becomes your redeemed resolve, the only thing you can do is do what David said in verse 6, I will sing to the Lord. That's why old and new, young, contemporary, old heads, when great is thy faithfulness comes on, you can just pop up and stick your hand up and everybody even knows it. It's almost like amazing grace. Because great is his faithfulness. Father, be with us. We thank you for your mercy, your grace, your love. We pray that you would be with us. God, um, teach us to have confidence in Christ in the midst of confusion. Teach us to be anchored deeply in the hesed of God, his covenant faithfulness, most boldly pronounced on the cross of Christ. So God, um, continue to work within us. We celebrate all that you've done in the midst of this time. I think about Pastor Brandon, Pastor Watson, Pastor AJ, Pastor Tommy, all gone from here to go declare your grace and your mercy all over this country. Continue to guide us, continue to grow us here in North Philly and me and us in Camden as one body um, fighting together to make your name the most famous. So Jesus, have your way. Glorify yourself in our midst and the rest of our gathering. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.